0: Welcome to another Sunday morning sermon for Marysville Christian Church. We're glad you're here joining us on this journey to learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and a Bible as we dive into God's Word. There are occasions when you just think, God, this wasn't supposed to happen. And we wonder where God is when you hurt. We just don't know. Now, sometimes, sometimes it's because we're suffering and sometimes it's just because things go wrong. And you just wonder, okay, God, wh- where are you now when I need you most? There are others. <coughs> I know, you're usually not calling out to God, although his, ma- his name may be involved, you're probably calling for somebody else at this point in time. And yet others, you know, who struggle with their belief in God, uh, you know, have created some interesting memes to help communicate, you know, the idea of, oh, you think there's a God? Well, where's your God now? Ryan, brace yourself. <laughs> the good news is you've got toilet paper. The bad news is you've got to fight through him to get to it. But uh, more than anything, though, whether it's something humorous like that or something that just leaves us devastated and on the floor. We find ourselves at different times asking, why does God allow me to hurt like this? Maybe it's because of a sickness that that just drags on. Uh, Kirk, how many surgeries did you go through since last August? That's what I thought you'd said, seven surgeries since last August, by, you know, essentially the first year, and, and it just, it doesn't end. I mean, you do everything you know to do, and, and it's just not there. Or sometimes it's the, the, sometimes it's the unexpected death that comes all too quickly. Sometimes it's the unexpected death, or excuse me, it's the expected death that doesn't ever seem to come, because you find yourself asking God, why am I still here? What good am I? And nursing homes are full of that kind of question. Sometimes it's the drug abuse and the opioid addiction that just doesn't end. Sometimes it's the domestic violence that doesn't seem to end. Sometimes it's the divorce that just would, you'd have been better off if they would have just died and you find yourself asking God, why didn't you just kill him? it'd be easier. Or why didn't you just kill me? But then you feel bad because you even ask those type of questions of God, and you just struggle with trying to figure out why God allows that to happen. Let me give you some ideas and some insight on how to help people find God in the middle of that. Let's start with the negative, first of all, because honestly, we learn better sometimes and more easily starting from the negative. The first thing that doesn't help is this, avoiding them. Avoiding the issue, avoiding the elephant in the room, avoiding them is not gonna help now, I know, I know, who needs another high maintenance friend in your life, right? We don't shout out any names. But you have to learn how that, how that Jesus actually made a difference in their life that's one of the reasons why we encourage people to learn more about Jesus so that we can actually watch him and see how he loved people when they needed it the most. For example, in Luke chapter 10, you may not necessarily know the reference of it, but you probably have heard of the story about the Good Samaritan. That story was told by Jesus in response to, the, to his command to love your neighbors yourself. They want to know, well, who's my neighbor? They're kind of looking for that loophole because, you know, sometimes that neighborhood is that high maintenance or that neighbor is that high maintenance person that you don't want in your life anymore. You've got enough drain going on. You don't need one more drain on your time, energy, or your resources. And yet with Jesus, what you see him teaching and encouraging with the story of the Good Samaritan is this. You've got to get in the game. You've got to engage. You've got to get into the fight. Why? Why? Jesus is the exact representation of God. He is by name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And when you see Jesus, you see him choosing 12 manual labors to follow him. He's right in the midst of them. He touched lepers to heal them, and if he can speak the world into existence, if he can speak light into darkness, if he can speak the separation of the earth and the the waters, if he can speak life where there was nothing before, then he could certainly have spoken to lepers and healed them, but instead, more often than not, you see Jesus actually going to them and touching them physically to communicate that he was there with them. wasn't trying to avoid them like everybody else. They'd spent their entire time since becoming a leper. I've done this before. If you read through the Old Testament, you'll see some of the regulations about leprosy. You know, Claudia and I were in the store last night. We saw a guy, I kind of us off guard at first, because he had this big black face mask on. And you know, it's like, did, is he the Lone Ranger? Did it slip down? You know? And then we realized, no, no, he's, a, he's worried about catching a cold. But you see this mask over his face. Well, that was kind of like what they had to do if they had leprosy. They had to wear a mask and they had, if they didn't have a mask, they had to cover their upper lip, which was another way of saying cover your mouth, okay? Because it's kind of hard to cover your upper lip unless you cover your mouth. And so they'd cover their mouth, cover their upper lip, and they'd have to cry out. If anybody got any closer than than I am to Mike right now, they'd have to cry out, unclean, unclean, just to warn them, don't come any closer. I've got a communicable disease. Yay for self-esteem, right? You know? But they had to be, they had to be kicked out of their home. They had to be kicked out of their village. They had to go live outside on their own or with other lepers until they either got better or died. It's kind of hard to get better, though, when you're surrounded by people with a communicable disease. And to those people who had not known human touch... To those people who had leprosy, which wasn't just a a disease where things dropped off of you like fingers and toes. It was a disease that affected the nerve endings. So they couldn't feel anything like when they're sleeping at night and rats would come and gnaw on their toes or their fingers. They couldn't feel it. If you can't feel it, you're not going to wake up. You're not going to shake them off. You're not going to chase them away. And that's why they ended up the way they did. They lost the ability to feel. So even if there were people there who were touching them, they wouldn't know it. And yet Jesus comes into their life, God among us, God with us, and he doesn't avoid them. Instead, he touches them. He embraces them. He's known as a friend of sinner, sinners, those who were social rejects, not just health rejects, but social rejects. Jesus was known as their friend. Here's the second thing, it's not gonna help by just trying to minimize their pain. Pretend like it's no big deal, you know? With phrases like, yeah, life's tough, or well, it's tough all over, well, hang in there, oh, keep praying, God's in control. I swear at one point in time, if somebody had, if one more person had come up to Claudia and I and said, well, God's got a plan for you, it was gonna be a race to see which which of us would punch him in the throat first. We just wanted to throttle them because we, we'd had it with the idea of God's got a plan. If God's got a plan, why did he telling me? You know, where is it? I'm ready to move on from this. But it was kind of the way of, well, be warmed and filled in King James terminology. I'm not going to do anything to feed you, but I'm going to wish you well. Have a good day, you know. Hey, it's great to see you and move on with life, right? The thing is... That wasn't how Jesus, God with us, handled that. He didn't minimize their situation. Instead, he tried to address their situation. In Luke chapter 9, again, you may not recognize the, the, the citation of the passage, but it's the feeding of the 5,000 plus. We went to Gordon's last night. Gordon Food Service to get ready for, uh, for the women's retreat that's coming up. By the way, if you have missed the uh, announcement of that, sign up begins today. I'm sure Claudia will be out at the front desk there later on afterwards. So if you wanna to go to that, make sure you get signed up there. It'll help with making sure we've got enough food. We're standing there in this grocery store, looking at labels, you know, well, how many is this supposed to feed? Well, it says it'll we'll feed this. Well, how many do you think we'll have and, and all of that? well now here in Luke 9 you know the the disciples are looking at the crowd there's 5,000 there's no Gordon food service you know there's no heat need options here and they look at Jesus and their response to solving the problem is Jesus you got to tell these people go home you got to tell them go into go into town where they can find something to eat I'm not sure where 5,000 people are going to find a town with a grocery store big enough back then to, to you know have something for them all to eat but nonetheless that was their solution the thing is in verse 13 Jesus looks at them and he says this to them you give them something to eat he wanted them to not minimize their situation but instead to embrace it and engage and find a way for them to get involved don't insult their grief with your own trivia Their pain's real. Their tears burn. The key issue for them is quite simply this. If God is real, if God is loving, if God is powerful, then why did he let this happen to me? Maybe that sounds familiar to some of your prayers. It certainly was for them. Here's another thing that doesn't help any. Don't blame them. Because blaming them doesn't help. They've already beaten themselves up enough. There's there's nothing to be gained by you piling on. It's in John chapter nine, the first three verses there, there's a guy that's born blind. Jesus and and, and, and the 12 guys that are with him, otherwise known as disciples, Not biblical scholars, they're just trying to catch up, they're trying to learn from Jesus, they're walking along, they see a beggar there, he's he's been blind since birth, and the only thing that they can think of to ask Jesus is this, whose fault is that? You see, for them, it wasn't a matter of his need, it was a theological debate. For them, it was just a question about, hey, let me ask you about this in Scripture, Jesus. No, He's got a problem. He can't. Who sinned? Him or His parents? He was born blind. How could He have sinned? Their pain and their grief is more than just a topic for your debate and your philosophical theology. The death and the groaning of decay in this world began in Genesis 3 with the invitation of Satan to ignore God and his will for what they wanted. Sometimes our pain causes consequences of our own choices. Sometimes our pain is the consequences of others choices. The bottom line is it still hurts and life still doesn't make any sense and we still need somebody to step in and do something. Blaming me isn't going to help with that. One last thing to consider is this. Looking at them with pity isn't going to help either. Oh, you poor thing. They don't need another pity party, they don't need another cry fest, they don't need another box of tissues to cry into. And yet, at the same time, there are times when we need to know that God feels what we feel. In the depth of our heartache. And that's what you see in John chapter 11. There's a guy named Lazarus. He had two sisters, Mary and Martha. They were close friends of Jesus. Lazarus fell sick, it says. And his sisters knew it. They called for Jesus to come do something about it. Before Jesus gets there, Lazarus dies. Jesus then goes on to the place where they buried him. He's going to comfort Mary and Martha and he's going to do something that's going to amaze them about God and about God at work in his life. But before he can do that, Jesus sees the grief of Mary and Martha and he hears the wailing of their friends and their family And he's so moved by it that you get the shortest memory verse in the Bible, John 11, verse 35, Jesus wept. Just looking pitifully on them communicates somehow that you're condescending to them, that you're better than they are. But actually being with them, like God with us, Emmanuel, allows them to understand they're not alone in the midst of that. Sometimes it means tears, sometimes it just means your presence. Sometimes it means, it means that you do for them what they've lost the ability to do for themselves. You help them think through the things that are mounting in front of them. So how can you help? Now that I've run through a few things that don't help, what are some things that actually do help? Remember, it says in Hebrews chapter one, verse three, that Jesus is the exact representation. He's the exact image of God's character. In the midst of those moments, when we're trying to figure out where is God, we also are asking ourselves, what's God really like? And so it starts with this. You can help them learn more about Jesus because Jesus will show them exactly who God is and exactly what God is like. Peter would say it this way in 1 Peter 4, verse 19. If God wants you to suffer, give yourself to him. He'll do what's right for you. He made you and he is faithful. Other translations of this would phrase it this way, that if you're suffering according to the will of God, or if you're suffering for doing what is right, don't stop doing what's right. And the motivation for that, even though things don't look like they're working out right, is this. You can count on God. Don't allow, don't allow your suffering right now to convince you that God doesn't care or that God isn't or that God can't be trusted. When Satan enters into the picture, you can always count on this. His purpose is to create doubt in us about God. He loves nothing more for us than to conclude your pain must mean God hates you. The problems that you're having in your life right now must mean that God wants to hurt you. You can't trust a God like that. And yet, Jesus' representation of God says God's not aloof, He's faithful. He's not detached, He's with us. He's not unaffected by our sorrow and our pain, He grieves, he grieves with us. When He saw the grief of a widow, whose son had passed away he stopped the funeral procession and raised him from the dead and presented him back to his mother he healed the hopeless woman who would spent everything that she had trying to find a cure when there wasn't anywhere else to turn he healed a cripple after asking him do you really want to get well you see we may never know why stuff happens But when we look at Jesus to learn more about God, this one thing we know for sure, you know that he has a father's love for us. And you can count on that father to not abandon us or abuse us. A second thing is this. You can actually help them. By loving more like Jesus. If this is starting to sound familiar, there's a reason for that. Again, Jesus is the exact representation of God. If I've got questions about God, I want to know who God is, where he is, and why he's not doing something. I start listening to the doubt that Satan puts in my head and in my heart that whether he's, of whether or not he's somebody that can be trusted. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 1, through 3-7 this. God is our merciful Father. Even if you don't get any further than that, you've been helped and you're able to help with that. They need to know that God loves them and loves them in a way that actually has mercy for them. He's the source of all comfort, and he comforts us in all of our troubles, not some of them, but all of our troubles, even the ones we cause by ourselves, sometimes the troubles that others have caused for us. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. Don't miss that phrase. The comfort of God comes to others through us. It's the comfort that we received when we were in the midst of trouble. He says when they're troubled, we'll be able to give them that same comfort that God has given us. There's incredible power when people with their own pain engage others who hurt. And both of them are embraced by God there's incredible encouragement given. When people with their own pain actually get involved in the life of someone who's also in pain. And together, they don't just cry the blues. They don't just open up a jazz place in New Orleans. Instead, they actually open up their hearts to each other and open up their hearts to God because they're able to remember that God is a source of all comfort. And they reflect on the times, not just the hard times of grief, but also the times when they've found comfort and strength to go on because of the influence of other people pointing them back to God. Here's the third thing. You can help them by looking more like Jesus yourself. Because if he was the exact representation of God, that's why we need to become more and more godly in our life. There's just no adequate answer to the problem of pain and suffering without Jesus. You take God out of the equation and, you, and the is zero all the time. A passage translated by uh, a Bible referred to as the voice had a very unique phrasing of this. I wanted to share it with you. He says, stay focused on Jesus And the more you look like Jesus, the more you live like Jesus, the better of a role model you are to them who was the exact representation of God. As they stay focused on Jesus, they see him in you. And that's worthwhile and provides help because Jesus was the one who designed and perfected what it is to walk by faith. He endured the cross. He ignored the shame of that death because he focused on the joy that was set before him. Not the joy of the moment, but the joy of what he knew was coming. And now he's seated beside God on the throne, a place of high honor. The rest of the passage in Hebrews 12 reads like this. Think of all the hostility that he endured from sinful people. Sometimes that's life, isn't it? People have their own junk in the trunk and they want to unload it on you. They want to back up their dump truck and slam on the brakes so it all slides out the tailgate and lands on your lap. Those people are so much fun to be around. And yet, Even when they then blame the mess on you, he says of Jesus, he endured hostility from sinful people. And when we think of Jesus, he says, we won't become weary and give up. People like that will wear you out. That's just the honest truth, isn't it? They just keep piling it on and piling it on and they wear you out, but he says, because of our focus on Jesus and knowing that he represents the very heart and character and nature of God, we are, are willing to endure and not give up. After all, you've not yet given your lives and your struggle against sin because that's a reminder that he gives us of Jesus. He, he endured the cross. Nobody's nailing us up yet. And until that point, and even if it comes to that point, we still find encouragement from them. Have you forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one that he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God's treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child that's never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you're illegitimate and not really his children at all. Shall we respect, since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of a father who does love us and lives forever? God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's always painful, but afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. I love the phrasing of verse 12. So get a grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight level path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but will become strong as they continue to follow along. There's hope to be found in looking for Jesus because his cross represents the very depth of God's love. You know the verse, for God so loved that he gave his own son to die. Or in another passage, while we were still sinners, God sent his son to die for us. We're not ever going to get our act together good enough to deserve what Jesus brings to us from the Father. The cross represents the love that God has for us, even in the mess that we are. But it's the resurrection that represents the reality of God's power to bring us new life. That's why Paul wrote what he did in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. When we were baptized, we were buried with Christ. We took part in his death. And just as Christ was raised from death by the wonderful power of the Father, so we can now live a new life. There's the reason for the symbolism of baptism. Baptism baptism not just a sprinkling of a few drops of water but a complete burial underneath water a dunking if you will so that we're completely surrounded by and enveloped that watery grave that we might when we're raised up out of that baptistry be raised to a new life that's the imagery that's there why does God allow pain and suffering The worst things happen to God's best. The worst happened to Jesus. One that God loved more than all others. But when God raised him from death and exalted him before everyone. And blesses us with the same hope for the future. It gives us that confidence that it's not the end. I want to share with you something that... A guy that you don't know wrote an article for a church magazine you've probably never read. His name was Ross Bradfuhrer, and he wrote the following for his church paper (coughs) one day. Talking about faith, this is what he says. Faith is trusting the Father and staying true to Him. When the road is hard and when the road is easy. When you don't understand and when you understand all too well. When the bottom drops out and when the skies open up. When the disease is incurable and when the recovery is miraculous. When a loved one is buried and when a new one is born. If you don't trust when you're uncertain, then you don't really trust at all. Because fair weather faith is not faith at all real faith when it's hopeless and trust excuse me real faith hopes when it's hopeless and trusts when it's impossible real faith looks at the cross and knows that no situation in which god takes part is really without remedy faith knows that god can make a resurrection out of any corpse and that a ho- and that hopeless is not in his divine dictionary That's pretty good stuff, isn't it? (coughs) Ross wrote this the day before his son Chris died suddenly and in a car accident the next day. (coughs) Later on, he made the following observation that when I wrote these words, I had no idea that I would be the one reading them at my son's funeral. I can't tell you how much that reality has helped me. Scripture offers us the story of Job to give us some insight into suffering. Because God bragged on Job, right? He says to Satan, have you considered my my servant Job? Job. Here's a summary of the lessons you learned. It's not a whole nother sermon, it's just a highlight, trust me, it's just one screen. Here you go. Things we learned from Job about suffering. Suffering is never easy to explain, so don't feel like you have to. Being good doesn't exempt us from calamity, so don't expect it to. God is not the source of suffering, so don't blame him. Genuine faith does not demand immediate answers, so don't doubt that one day there will be justice. And finally, God's blessing is promised to those who persevere. So just don't quit. David, why don't you and the praise team join me on stage we'll wrap up with this. When people struggle in their faith, it's a defining season in their life. It's a crossroads moment for their character. It's a magnifying glass into what's really there in their soul. And when that happens, people look to others for their faith. They look to others who are, who are representatives of God for the reason to hold on to their faith. Claudia has to remind me on a regular basis that I'm not a dairy farmer anymore and I don't play second base on a church softball team in the summer. She reminds me on a regular basis that even though I see myself as who I used to be, you don't see me that way. I look in, (laughs) before I look in the mirror, I see myself as 17. Ah, shut up, you're just (laughs) laughing way too hard. I've still got dark brown hair and a dark red beard. And then I look in the mirror and all this stuff is there. She reminds me of that because sometimes I forget that you look at me differently than I look at me. And it's not about me, this is about you because others look at you as somebody who is a person of faith when they need faith most <clears throat> oh don't do that don't look at me I'm not God knows I'm not perfect no but you're the closest that they've got right now they look to you to see a person of faith when they need hope the most that's why our mission is and vision at MCC is to create more faith in more people and that's only going to happen when they're able to look at us and learn more about Jesus the exact representation of God because they're searching for God and when they're looking for faith they need to know that they can see love like Jesus in us To be reminded that God still loves them when they're beginning to doubt if God even knows they exist, let alone how much it hurts. We want people here to look more like Jesus, not in a lumberjack beard or a toga party or sandals. We want people to live more like Jesus so that when they're looking for faith, they can see that faith works in real life. That's the only way to lead more people to Jesus. The exact image of God. And when we portray that, because we've learned of Jesus, love like Jesus, and look like Jesus. That's when we bring honor to the Jesus that we worship. If that's something that you want to be a part of, mm-hmm. let me encourage you to make that now. If that's something you need to be praying about, if that's something that you need prayer over, why not take advantage of this moment, this time, while together we stand we hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Marysville Christian Church and connect with us, be sure to go to our website, marysvillechristian.org. If you are near the Marysville area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday morning. We have our Bible study classes at 9 a.m. and our regular worship service is at 10 a.m. Our address is 17,000 Waldo Road, Marysville, Ohio, 43040. Our phone number is 937-642-9838. Email is office at org.